Uh, it's great to be back here with y'all again. Uh, last week, we looked at a passage in Isaiah uh, that kind of uh, looked forward to Jesus' coming, his uh, first coming, his being born uh, and, and being king. And uh, tonight, uh, tonight, this morning, so I'm used to speaking at RUF at night, uh, this morning, uh, this morning we're going to look at uh, another passage, actually a couple passages in Isaiah, uh, that, that really are talking more about Jesus' second coming. And what's and the hope we have to look forward to as Christians. Um, and real quick, uh, I of course uh, said put Isaiah twenty six when I was sending the passage in, and it's actually Isaiah twenty five six through nine. Uh, so if y'all have on your phones or pew Bibles, um, it's it's a five page five eighty six on your pew Bibles. But we'll actually be reading uh, be reading from Isaiah twenty five and not twenty six, um, but then as well as from Isaiah sixty five. And, uh, and this, this passage has been a passage that we've gone over. Uh, I know some of y'all receive uh, our newsletters and, and other things, but, but know that this last year for Lee and me have been a very uh, difficult uh, year uh, when it comes to our lives. Uh, my father-in-law um, passed away uh, last August and, uh, and pretty suddenly, and it was a surprise. And, um, and Anyway, and there's, it was a very complicated relationship between uh, my wife and her father, and so that brought up a lot of things. We also had one of our former students from UT Chattanooga uh, die very young at the age of 26, and then uh, in November we had a Rhodes student pass away from cancer uh, at the age of 20. And so we have dealt a lot with death and mourning, and so last week we kind of talked about how the gospel deals with our fear and anxiety, and, and this week um, we're going to kind of look at why we can have hope in the gospel. Uh, so let me pray and we'll read God's word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you uh, that uh, just what we read earlier, Lord, that, that every minute of the day you exult over us in singing, that you rejoice over us, Lord, how I, I wish that I... I could realize that um, as I go about my life, Lord. I pray that as we read your scripture uh, this morning, Lord, that this really will um, uh, just conform our hearts, Lord, to your gospel, that, that everyone in here will walk out knowing that you love them and be encouraged uh, by your words for them uh, this morning, Lord. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So let me read Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And then Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall be not, not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. 
and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of God. So for the, for the remaining, so in Isaiah 65, the Israelites are in a very different place than we looked at last week. Um, uh, now the remaining Israelites are in exile. And this is a word to those that are in exile. Um, but they would have hope for this servant king we talked about last week to come and change everything. They would have hope for who we believe to be Jesus. And they would be excited about the hope of one day a rebuilt Jerusalem. You know, uh, people that have been dispersed coming back together. Uh, But as we see in later books and as we see in the New Testament, uh, things remained broken. That that they rebuilt the temple. uh, And but even in the second temple, when Jesus came, there were still issues. There was still brokenness. There was still sin. And and their great hopes um, for Jerusalem, for the people of God, still remained mostly unfulfilled and with shattered dreams. And, and I see this very often in my college students, this same kind of sense, because for so many of them, they come to college with such hope um, that it's a time maybe to get away um, from hard um, homes, that it's, that it's looking forward to all the things that could possibly be, you know, that, that kind of they're hoping just their, their imagination goes wild thinking what the next four years and then the rest of their life will be like at college. And then I see them their freshman year. And, and when the loneliness comes in, and, and when you know, their classes aren't going the way they want to, and when the, you know, that they knew that they were going to pre, be pre-med, and all of a sudden they realize they don't even like science classes. <laughs> and this is a struggle. And, and they begin to you know, miss their old friends, they break up with people, they get together with new people. All these things happen, and there seems to be this extreme disappointment. And, and even when they begin to fulfill, and I even talked to some students who just graduated. I had my first kind of class that I'd seen from freshman year to senior year graduate. And one of the things that, I, you know, that they'll say is that you know, these four years were great. Uh, but, not, but their expect, expectations, their hopes freshman year, very few of them actually came true. And, and that they realized that like, life is hard and that there's struggle. And... And it often makes me think, and I'm glad now I'm in an older crowd than college students, so I can use an example from U2, um, which my college students don't really know as much about anymore. Uh, but I often think about the U2 song, uh, Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And, and, it, and it's funny because uh, this song, when I was, you know, when I was in high school, when it, I guess maybe even earlier than that when it came out, uh, when I was a middle school, a high schooler, it was, you know, it got a lot of flack kind of from Christians and from evangelical Christians, you know, because, you know, it, because here's the words, you know, that, uh, that Bono actually sings. I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one, but yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds, you loosed the chains, you carried the cross, and all my shame, all my shame, you know, I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I remember that a lot of uh, Christians were very upset by the sense of like hearing about, hearing the gospel, hearing that Jesus came and took away their shame on the cross, and yet he still hadn't found what he's looking for. 
And however, you know, I feel like the more I reflect on that and the more I've thought about it, and I think the more Christians wrote about that song and, and just about life, you realize that that actually rings very, very true. That, that, that this kind of longing goes along with Romans 8. It goes along with Isaiah uh, 65. It goes along with Revelation. That, that, that even if you are a Christian here this morning, that you understand the gospel, that you understand that you are loved, but often you feel incomplete. You feel like that there's something more, that we are craved for something more, that we still, even with the beauty of the, cruci- the cross, that we still haven't found exactly what we're looking for, that, that Romans 8 talks about this being, there being a groaning of creation, awaiting for all things to be made right and all things to be made new. Um, because I think oftentimes, you know, growing up, I thought, you know, as a Christian that if that I was saved and that if I just believed the right stuff or always did the right things all the time, you know, then life would be great, would be easy. You know, it would just be like milk and cookies. It'd be good. And, and, and when it wasn't, I just needed to have more faith. You know, but the more I read and the more I talk with students and and pastor people, the more I realize that Christianity is actually very honest. The Bible is very honest about the fallenness and difficulty of this life and how hard it is to have faith, how hard it is to be faithful uh, when you go through a year when you have three people you know, close to you die, when you go through trauma in life, when you experience injustice and oppression. It's very hard sometimes to have faith when life seems so unfair. Life seems so chaotic. This world seems so fallen. And this passage is the answer to this longing about whether we'll ever stop hurting, about whether the world will ever feel right. Will we ever find what we're looking for? And what God's saying to the people of Israel here and to us this morning is yes, yes, we will. That complete fulfillment, complete joy, that glory is coming but it won't come completely until the new heavens and new earth. And that all the ways that we're looking to find that complete fulfillment, that complete glory, that that it won't come with good grades, with graduating, with a good job, with a six-figure salary, with a seven-figure salary. It won't come with finding the one. It won't come with two and a half kids and the white picket fence or artistic achievement or fame or respect or your sports team finally winning. It won't come. You know, that, that for some of you, you want to no longer be scarred by the abuse or the oppression or the betrayal that you experience in your life by your family, by, by someone close to you maybe that hurt or rejected you. You don't want to feel lonely or abandoned anymore. And though that you find that you have gone through some healing on a lot of those things, there are still deep scars from the hurt and the trauma in your life. And the Bible says, yes, you will find complete healing. And you will find your scars erased. But that complete fulfillment and that complete freedom from pain and tears and death will only come when Jesus returns and brings the new heavens and the new earth. And I think we need to look and see what exactly we have this hope in, what exactly the new heavens and new earth will be like. You know, one of the things it says is the former things will not be remembered. You know, now this does not mean that we will forget everything, you know, like some kind of weird sci-fi movie where they like erase people's memories. 
No, this is saying the old ways, the sad ways, the scars from your life, the past sins, the regrets that you have, basically everything in your life that keeps you from being fully human and fully happy, that that stuff will have no effect anymore on you, that that will be gone. Verse 19 says that you will no longer hear weeping or the cry of distress. In other words, emotional hurts and scars will no longer have effect. There will be no emotional pain. There will be no cries of distress. No physical hurt will come your way. You know, through others or through sickness. There will be no more physical pain. You will never feel like my wife who has a condition and like many other people feel like your mind and your body are against you. You'll never feel that way again. And there will be no more death. Now, many of us, you know, especially for my college students, because they live in America and because they're younger, obviously, often they have not experienced death. You know, whereas at the time of this passage, everyone reading this passage when Isaiah wrote this prophecy would have seen a dead body, would have seen family members die, would have probably lost their moms in childbirth. You know, yet even in our modern times, despite us wanting to kind of avoid it, death is here. And death makes us very uncomfortable. You know, people, uh, we're, we can be super awkward at funerals. You know, and I think we're, we're so obsessed with kind of death and dealing with it. Look at all the TV shows. You know, all our TV shows are either murder investigation shows or hospital shows. You know, I mean, they can't get Grey's Anatomy off the air. It's been on the air for like 20 years. You know, look at horror movies, you know, The Walking Dead, all the shows that my students are super into, you know, and and this obsession we have of who will die next, you know, in the shows that we binge, you know, because no one wants to talk about death, sort of the way no one talked about romance and things in the Victorian age. It's kind of taboo, and yet it's there. And yet as I grow older, I see it more and more. And I especially see it, you know, as, as the last few years I've been at that age where a lot of my friends are having children. And this is why verse 20 is so powerful to me. You know, I've had four friends that are very close to me lose infants. I've had many more experience miscarriage. You know, and Lee and I often talk about how we experienced two miscarriages. You know, seeing our child's heartbeat only to, to lose that child a few weeks later. And it's devastating and it's heartbreaking. And it also goes on to say the new heavens and earth will be a place where no one dies in a nursing home alone or outliving everyone they loved. You know, I long for a place where after a hundred years there's been no age. You know, where I can run and jump. I can still touch the rim of a basketball like I could when I was 20. Even couldn't dunk back then, but. You know, where I don't see my friends get cancer. Where I don't see my friends struggle with illnesses have heart attacks. Further, it will be an unspeakably wonderful, happy place. And sin's curse will not be on creation anymore. You know, it's a return to the paradise of Genesis 1 and 2, the Garden of Eden. You know, and this is where I want to kind of begin a little bit. And for many of y'all, y'all might need this, but, for, but I found that a lot of us do this kind of attacking kind of our conception of heaven. And you know, where the Bible always talks about a new heavens and a new earth. You know, because if you... 
You know, if, if you are in pop culture like I am uh, a lot, you will think of heaven as the place where, you know, we wear right robes and sit on clouds and play harps. You know, and, and I always say, I want no part of that kind of heaven. That doesn't appeal to me in the least. Um, I actually said this once in a Sunday school class where there are actually two professional harpists sitting there, and they did, they, did, they did not like that. So I apologize. If y'all like harps, I'm sure you will love playing the harp in the new heavens, new earth. That's just not for me. Um, but this is a very terrible view of heaven because the new heavens and new earth are going to be a physical place as physical and real as the world we are sitting in now. That something like Memphis and this church will be here now when Jesus returns, but renewed, that we'll have actual bodies. You know, and while the Bible teaches that when we die now, and Jesus has yet not returned, our souls go to be with Jesus in heaven. But once he returns, they will be given new bodies here on earth. It will be come back, coming back down to earth with our new bodies. Like Jesus was given a new body at the resurrection when he raised from the dead. And you notice how Jesus ate fish. He could be hugged. He could be touched. Yet it was new. People didn't necessarily immediately recognize him. It was not kind of the mashed up body of the cross. So the new heavens and new earth are a physical reality. And that's why verses 21 through 23 are so key. We will have relational and vocational harmony. We will be happy in our houses, in our homes. We will not have family dysfunction and brokenness. We have friendships that last and are intimate and are meaningful. We will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. We will be working and doing things that we absolutely love. We will get up not waiting to get out the door to get to our jobs. We'll be so excited about whatever God's called us to do. And we'll know that not only our excitement for our job is there, but we know that whatever we're doing, it's going to be essential for others and for us. It will be meaningful work. And in relationships and work, we'll have security, says verse 22. We will long enjoy our work and we won't fear thieves. We won't fear banks or bills or a landlord or an army coming to take it away. We will live very much as we live now, but there'll be no fear, no sin, no failure. Everything good about this life is going to come with us into the new heavens and the new earth. I don't have time to turn to Revelation 21, but if you read there, it talks about the kings of the world bringing their glory in to the new heavens and new earth. In other words, all the good beauties and goods in this world are going to come with us into the new heavens and new earth. The greatness in art, in music, in athletics, in science, in all the areas we study, you know, in video games, in fashion, all the good stuff that we love will come with us in the new heavens and new earth. Renewed. And I always joke with my students, uh, because if any of y'all have ever been to Rhodes, it's a, like always wins, you know, always one of the top five campuses in the, in the United States. I always say, you know, Rhodes architecture will probably still be there in the new heavens, new earth. But the cafeteria food will be way better. They call it rat for a reason. Um, you know, and of course, at Rhodes, the, the atmosphere and relationships will be vastly different. It will be actually a stress-free environment where we're not having to work for identity and seeing our identity as whatever grades we get, but actually wanting to learn. And everyone else in the world will be at peace. There'll be no tension, no sexism, no racism. 
no oppression, no injustice. People will not use each other or envy each other. People will actually celebrate others. We'll work together to bring good into the world and enjoy each other and all the gifts and talents that God's uniquely given each and every one of us. And we see this because enemies represented here by a wolf and a lamb will live in harmony. We'll no longer feel distant or foreign from people like the lion and the ox. We'll actually know each other intimately as friends. And creation will no longer be cursed. You see, we're not Christians when we see the world in creation as evil. We're actually being kind of Platonic, like Platonists and Greek. You know, and often I think Christians, we try to like have some sort of out-of-body experiences in this life. You know, to kind of spiritually escape. But that's not really Christianity, though. You know, that, that's more like Gnosticism. When Jesus returns, you know, he's not adding stuff to God's creation. He's renewing it. Bringing out the goodness of what is there more fully. You know, the Hebrew word for new has the sense of renewed. Not kind of brand new, but renewed. You know, kind of like a reboot, in a sense. Creation made right the way it was supposed to be. And so, you know, and so, you know, it matters. It matters that we have hope in what is coming. And not only that, but we also see that God will be fully revealed to us. While he was revealed in Christ and revealed in the scriptures, many of us are waiting to see Christ's face, to feel his embrace, to fully realize that he is with us, to not just read about it, to not just sing about it, but to actually realize he's there and know it fully, to not just be told he's rejoicing over us with singing, but hear him rejoice over us with singing so that we no longer need faith. We actually can live by sight. And here we get that as well. Verse 24, we have intimate language here. Saying, before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. You know, using kind of poetry to convey intimacy. Like a friend or spouse ending your sentences. You know, knowing what you want before you even have to ask. That kind of intimacy. You know, we'll live in a city where God is with us and we see him face to face. You know, and, and oftentimes, you know, whenever we've kind of had these great moments, whether it be by yourself, kind of in a devotional life, whether it be in a group of small group of people, whether it be here in this church on a Sunday morning or at some kind of weekend conference where we just have these great times and we feel so, God is so real and so close. You know, and Jonathan Edwards used to call that kisses from God. Like these moments where we understand the realness of who God is and that he loves us. The new heavens and earth means that we will feel that 24-7, constantly. And we will feel more loved than we can ever imagine right now. In the way that the core of our being cries out for. In a way that will never let us doubt that we are not beloved, that we are not worthy, and that we matter. And it's going to be a party. It's going to be a feast So I read Isaiah 25, a celebration. Revelation talks about it like a wedding. It's going to be a party, the new heavens and new earth. You know, and not like so many of the parties that I've gone to, uh, both in college and afterwards, you know, where friends might not show up because they found something better. 
You know, where you don't feel like you belong. Where, you know, you, you can, music is so loud, sometimes you can't talk. Where, when you can talk, it's awkward and you wish they'd turn the music up more because small talk is weird. You know? Uh, or, you know, if some of y'all are in high school and college, the, the parties that you go to, you know, where the person you like is ignoring you and talking to somebody else. You know, no, this kind of party, the party of the new heavens and earth is where people are enjoying fellowship. And there's no need to feel like they have to numb themselves with things to enjoy it. No, it's like one of my favorite parties I ever went to in college. You know, where people were joyous, feeling good. One of those few parties where I actually knew everybody and felt comfortable. You know, where, where all my friends were there where people came and belonged. You know, where there's all these things to do so no one ever felt awkward. And where I looked around and realized that everybody at this party was actually glad. This is what it will be like in the new heavens and new earth. You know, surrounded by all our friends working and creating and playing and drinking and eating and feasting and doing it all for eternity, completely happy and fulfilled with no shame, no guilt, knowing so deeply in our hearts that we belong here and we're loved. I think that's way better than sitting on a cloud strumming a harp. And even with all these pictures, we still don't get it. I I remember a friend of mine, uh, and we still kind of joke about this to this day, a friend of mine in college, you know, during a time of prayer, and we just heard some kind of talk like this um, at our, our college Bible study, you know, and someone in, in the prayer time asked for Jesus to return, you know, longingly. He'd been going through some tough stuff and was longing for Jesus to return, and he made all things right. And then my friend kind of jokingly prayed, yes, Jesus, I also would long for you to come back, but would you wait two months until I get married first? Because I want to go on my honeymoon. And, you know, and I think that's often how we think. You know, we think in life, you know, like we'd love for this to take place, but, but yes, but, you know, my honeymoon or, you know, my children's birth or, or my grandchildren's birth or, or that new job or, or that influence we want or, or something else first. But it shows in our hearts that we don't really understand just how amazing and wonderful the new heavens and the new earth will be. Because if you think about the happiest you've ever been in your life, the most secure, the most loved, the most excited, you know, the, the time you looked in, your li- in the mirror and actually liked how you looked, when your parents said they were proud of you and they meant it, or they said they loved you and you actually believed them, you know, a trip with good friends, you know, scoring the final goal for your team, being there for a friend at a hard time or someone being there for you and you knowing they were your friend and they were there for you. you know, totally acing a test or getting a perfect score on a paper or having your boss praise you in front of all the other employees. Just being rewarded for a job well done. You know, that moment in your life when you didn't feel shame and regret but were content, even happy. Whatever that moment is for you, know that that moment 
is just a foretaste, is just a kiss, is just a moment of what is coming when Jesus returns to those who believe in him. Do you believe that? Because that is what this passage is saying. This is what we have to hope for. And now in closing, I must deal with just one more issue. Because oftentimes people say, well, great, that's great that that's happening in the future, but what about now? You know, because Christianity is not just the cliche of just wait until heaven, you know, and it will get better up there, just it will get better in the future, so don't worry about the present. You know, no, salvation is bigger than that. It's bigger than that, you know, and, and so like all the modern philosophers are wrong. You know, Marx is wrong. It's not an opium of the masses. You know, Freud's wrong. It's not wish fulfillment. You know, Nietzsche is wrong. It's not for the weak, a belief in the afterlife. No, actually, following Jesus is difficult. And looking at New Testament comes with suffering. Now, now Paul is very clear that the suffering that we're going through right now is nothing compared to the glories of everything we just talked about. But at the same time, the new heavens and new earth is not a doctrine that keeps us on the sidelines or makes, us, makes, makes less life less meaningful right now. You know, it's a certain hope. But this passage also gives us more than that. Because while we at times feel like our lives are meaningless, if the world is not temporary but eternal, everything we do has intimate importance, has ultimate meaning. Everything we do today and tomorrow and next week matters. You know, we've already talked about in that revelation that the good we do in the present will last into the future. Um, you know, the, the theologian uh, Tom Wright says this, The point is this, when God saved people in this life, by working through his Spirit to bring them to faith and by leading them to follow Jesus in discipleship, prayer, holiness, hope, and love, such people are designed, it is not too strong a word, to be a sign and foretaste of God, what God wants to do for the entire cosmos. What more, such people are not just to be a sign and foretaste of that ultimate salvation. They are to be part of the means by which God makes this happen in both the present and the future. So salvation is not designed to take us away from the earth, but to make us agents of transformation of this earth. To be the means by which the kingdom comes to earth as it is in heaven. You know, the thing we pray when we recite the Lord's Prayer. The whole reason we're saved in the present now is to play a vital role in God's mission, to make his world right now. You know, to heal pain, feel, feed the poor, to love people, to fight injustice, to serve those around us daily, both in relationships but in our work, to love our enemies, to be a taste of the new heavens and new earth for people. These things have eternal significance. I just want to end on this. You know, I talked about parties. Uh, my favorite party of all time happened about seven years ago. And, and I talked previously. My wife and I had just gone through two miscarriages. And in that process of having two miscarriages, Lee began to get very sick and, and struggle with an illness. And, and we could not figure out what was going on. Um, and it looked it was very dangerous. Um, and, and it was like, I don't know if you've ever seen the show House, but it, was, it had that feeling of we were going from hospital to hospital to doctor to doctor, trying to figure out what was wrong, and nobody could figure it out. Until finally, even though we lived in Chattanooga at the time, we moved to Birmingham, uh, where Lee's mom lives, 
uh, because she had some connections to a couple doctors. And they basically just decided, we're going to figure out what's going on with you. And, and they did. Um, and they figured out that she had this thing called dysautonomia. And, and it was this hard process. But in all this, you know, I was away from my, my work. I was, uh, the kids were being moved back and forth between Chattanooga and Birmingham. We were trying to figure out what was going on. Um, I felt super lonely. Uh, we both did. And then our friends, who at the time lived in Birmingham, gave us a call and said, we know everything's going on with you. We know that Lee is not, doesn't have a lot of strength. But we'd love for you just to come to dinner. We want to throw a party for y'all. And, and one of the reasons they did is because they understood. Because these friends, you know, these friends, you know, had, had a child who uh, could not communicate. Had a child who was basically going to be in a wheelchair for her entire life. And they understood what it means to be away from everybody and to feel distant. And so they did what they wished somebody had done for them, which was throw them a party. Invite them somewhere where they could be with people. And, and, and at the time when we showed up, we didn't even know what to expect. But Lord, did I know that they had not only that, they had called all of our college friends from Auburn and from Vanderbilt within like an 80-mile radiant, you know, radiance to come. And to be with us at that party. And to encourage us and to love us. You know, and, and just the way we felt. And, and the way we felt being there and being in that room. You know, you know, that's what I hope that we feel in the church. That, that my students feel at Rhodes RUF. You know, that sense of joy, of inclusion, of love being given to them in the present. And, and as great as that moment was for Lee, to be, as much a great moment of that healing it was, it's just a taste of when the real party begins. Because when the real party begins, you know, my friend's child who threw us that party will be walking and talking when Jesus returns. Children's, my friends, and Lee and I have lost will be there when Jesus returns. Friends from all of the world that we've lost will be there. Friends we've lost this year will be there. You know, and awesome people I don't even have any idea about from 300 years ago and 1,000 years ago will be there. And we will be feasting. And it will be more amazing and more real than anything we experience now. And there'll be no tears. And we will be with Jesus. And it will be forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for us. And I thank you for the church. And I thank you that, that we don't, uh, that while the new heavens and new earth are amazing, Lord, I, pr- I pray that, that for those in here who are hurting this morning and those who who need a party thrown for them, that they need that taste, Lord, because of everything that's gone in their life. Lord, I pray uh, that this church, that their friends, um, their brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, will come around them and be with them um, in this world, Lord. And I pray um, uh, that you will return soon, Lord, and you will heal this world. I pray this in your name. Amen.